0: Good evening, everyone. And so today's Bible reading is from John chapter 6, verse 35 to 48. If you're looking in the Blue Bibles, it's on page 866. So from verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent uh, sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God, only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life.
1: Would you pray again with me as we come to God's Word? Father, please humble us uh, before your Word so we can listen and accept it. And we ask that uh, you would bring us to life, uh, to the fullness of life in your Son. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Only two weeks ago, to this day, this very hour, I wouldn't have been standing right here, would I? Because uh, we had this thing open, didn't we? Uh, If you were here a fortnight ago, you might have witnessed uh, Ellie's baptism. You would have seen it, just underneath where I'm standing, this whole carpet rolls away, the floorboards pull up and we fill the thing with water. It takes about three hours uh, to to get the thing warm and to to get it full. And the preacher of the day, I wouldn't be standing here, I think we were standing over there that day because uh, otherwise you'd be very wet. And we got to see Ellie publicly declare her allegiance to Jesus. In a very physical sort of way. Uh, she also, uh, that week we had a bulletin and she put a testimony, uh, we printed that as part of the bulletin, uh, which you might have had the encouragement of reading. And I was speaking to Ellie in the weeks leading up to her baptism about her journey of faith. Uh, Ellie, like quite a number of people, grew up in a, a family that knew Jesus. Her family were followers of Jesus, she grew up knowing Jesus and she would have come to church with him ever since before she could walk. It's a double-edged sword though, growing up with Jesus. Uh, On the one hand, it's an incredible privilege because you get countless opportunities, don't you, to be exposed to, to listen and to learn and participate in a life of faith in the Saviour. But on the other hand, familiarity can breed contempt. And you know, like I do, not everyone who grows up in a Christian family has a positive experience of that. Regardless, each person has to, at some point in their life, make a conscious decision for his or herself about whether they'll come to Jesus and believe. Mum or dad's faith doesn't cut it, does it? For the child, you know yourself. You can only make rules for children for so long. Um, you can only drag them with you to church for so long. And once they have their own transport, once they, once they're adults making their own decisions, they have to decide where they go, what they do, and who they're going to build their life on. And you might have hoped that, um, you know, them growing up, being influenced by Jesus but growing up with Jesus might have had a positive sort of impact on their life rather than being that small dose that inoculates them like some sort of vaccine that makes them immune to the gospel. It's a dangerous thing assuming that you know better when you really don't know at all, which is the unfortunate place where I think uh, this crowd that are talking to Jesus this crowd finds themselves in this most unfortunate place at the end of the passage where they think they know Jesus but they don't know him at all. Uh, we're back in the Gospel of John, John chapter 6. We're part way through and we're picking up where we left off before the school holidays. And Jesus has come home in this passage, so to speak. Uh, he's back in the region of Galilee, where he would have spent the majority of his life, definitely his childhood, uh, before he went off and started his public ministry and he went to Jerusalem, he, he crossed over to Samaria, and now he's crossing back over into Uh, the Sea of Galilee and back into home turf. And since he began doing what he's been doing, he's started picking up quite a following. He's been healing people. He's been teaching and saying quite revolutionary things with authority. And most recently, he's miraculously fed 5,000 men and their families in the middle of nowhere with basically nothing. He provides food in the wilderness uh, for people like no one else except maybe what Moses had done for Israel all those centuries ago by the power of God. And this last miracle, the feeding of all these people on top of all the other things he's done seems to have been so impactful that the people who were fed they start really following him around. Uh, So you get the story where he disappears one night uh, without telling people where he's gone, everyone wakes up the next morning and he's gone. And so they they track him down. They follow him across the lake to find him. And when they find him, they say, "Why did you go? Where did you come? Where when did you get here?" But the crowds, uh, Jesus says to this crowd back in verse 26, chapter 6, John 6:26. 6, I read it for you. Jesus answered, "Very truly I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill." Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. And so he starts trying to convince this crowd that there's more to what he's on about than just free bread when he's around, as cool as that trick is. They're supposed to be able to look a bit deeper at what Jesus is doing. The signs that he does point to some greater reality, and he's trying to convince them, To stop looking at his finger and to to see the thing he's pointing to. Verse thirty four, the crowd Sir all of us this bread. Obviously not getting it. They're still thinking about, you know, the the stuff you get out of your ovens and put in your stomach. So at the start of our passage today, verse thirty five, Jesus, I think, is just straight out and out saying, No, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And I wonder if by this point the penny has dropped for some of them in the crowd that day. Like, have they figured out that he's not talking about literal bread made out of flour and yeast and whatever you put in it. He's not talking about physical hunger and thirst. Much like how back when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman in chapter 4, who he found by the well. And Jesus told her that he can give her living water that will make her never thirst again. I mean, she starts off thinking about water, what you can pull up in a bucket from a well. But by the end of that episode, I think you get the impression that she gets, Jesus is talking about satisfying a much deeper thirst, much deeper need. So when Jesus says here, I am the bread of life, I wonder how many of them get that. They get that he wasn't talking about food and drink that keeps you physically nourished, that there's an emotional and spiritual dimension to what he's talking about. Forget toast. I am what will satisfy your soul. I think is what Jesus is trying to say to them. And he's right, isn't he? I can, uh, it's been my experience, I, I know I've only lived a little bit of time in this world, but I know I've spoken to some of you who've lived your whole life following Jesus, walking with him, and you can testify, can't you, that when you have Jesus, you lack nothing. That in him you find rest and satisfaction and a brilliant hope for the life to come. But some people in the crowd, they really don't get it. Uh, They came here for bread. And what Jesus is offering them just isn't on their shopping list. They don't have eternal life and the satisfaction of their souls on their radar. And it's a shame, isn't it? Here they are, face to face with Jesus. This is God the Son, who was there before the beginning, who was there to fling the stars into space and he sustains everything by his powerful word. And they're eyeballing this amazing person and all they ask for is a bit of bread. They're selling themselves short, but they don't see what they're not looking for. So verse 36, Jesus says, As I told you, You have seen me, and still you do not believe. But it doesn't sound like Jesus is uh, bitter or overly frustrated that he's giving his time to all these people who don't get it. He understands that there's a supernatural thing going on and required if people are going to come to him. Because our default state is blindness. Blindness. That's our problem. Spiritually speaking, we we don't see God. And we, all of us, need His help. Jesus understands. So verse 37. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those He has given me but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. Come down with me to verse 44. Jesus continues, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up on the last day. As it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. It's pretty clear to Jesus that all of us need to be shown. All of us need to be told and enabled by God if we're going to come and see Jesus for who he is. Otherwise, we would have missed him too we'd be just coming for the bread. And on a church lunch day like today, I mean, the bread's pretty good here. I can almost excuse people who just want to come and join us for the food here at Penno because we do a pretty good job. You get fed well. But if that's all you come for, I think you're missing out. You're missing out on the real feast that really satisfies Or it's like the people who, you know, maybe they aren't particularly interested in following Jesus for themselves, but they want their kids to come to some sort of children's program or a Sunday school or Christian education because they believe that it will give them exposure to good morals and and good values. And so they bring them to to church to go to Sunday school. And those things aren't bad, but I think you're missing the point. And I know we try to be friendly and, and welcoming whenever we gather, Um, we're trying to put a big effort into that, but if all you come for is the friendship and the company and that sense of community, you really ought to know there's so much more to it than that. Jesus wasn't just a healer. He came to undo the whole curse of sin and death. Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He was the fulfillment of every promise of God. And what Jesus is offering is Himself. He's offering eternal life. Don't settle for a consolation prize when God has brought eternal life so close in the person of His Son. The only entry condition Jesus uh, tells you about is this. Believe. Believe in Jesus. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Are we just believing that He existed? It's at least that, but, but more. Believing in Jesus means that we believe He was the Son of God, that He died as a sacrifice for our sin, to pay the debt that we owed to God for our disobedience. It means believing that God raised Him, showing that that payment's been accepted, and that new life is now possible. That's where we're heading now that sin has been paid for. Now, I know John doesn't go into all that detail about the mechanics of Jesus' sin-bearing sacrifice here, but the eternal life bit is pretty clear. Uh, Jesus says again and again that He is the bread of life. Whoever believes in Him has eternal life. And so is the part, pretty clear, I think, where He calls Himself the Son of God, that He's come from the Father. And that's the part where the home crowd gets a bit sceptical, because now they've grown up with Jesus, literally. They, They say in verse 41, At this the Jews there began to uh, grumble because he said, I am the bread of life that came from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? And I think that is the danger, isn't it, of growing familiar with Jesus without knowing who he really is. They say, this is Joe and Mary's boy. We saw him growing up. We, we buy things from Joseph. We know Mary, his mother. What's he talking about? That he's coming from God. I mean, he's a nice kid, but he's just one of us. And so they dismiss him. And plenty of people have done the same thing. Maybe you've done it where you've made up your mind about Jesus years back. Perhaps not based on all the information that Jesus you haven't really revisited that box that you put Jesus in since then. And you haven't allowed him to tell you who he is and what he's on about. And if that's you, can I ask you to do just one very simple thing for me this morning? It's not hard. In fact, it's one of the things where one of those things where you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain, really. Would you pray this very tentative prayer? Pray this. God, if you are there, if you are there show me Jesus for who He is. You don't lose much there, but please pray that, God, if you are there, show me Jesus for who He is. And I think almost anybody can genuinely pray that prayer, and so that's all I ask you to commit to. Maybe you're someone here this morning who's grown up in a Christian family. Uh, You've run into the gospel you've got friends who are Christian and you find yourself running with them but you know for whatever reason you've never personally come to Jesus and put your faith in Him. If that's you I want you to hear verse 40 loud and clear. Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And so would you do that this morning? You can do it in the quietness of your own heart because God knows. Or if you prefer to talk to someone, then come and find me after and we can pray together. Or maybe you're someone who has made a commitment to Jesus in the past. You remember getting baptized. You remember placing your trust in Him. You remember feeling God's call on your life to follow Jesus. That might have been a while ago. And the struggle now is that you're finding that all these other things are pulling you in different directions. Here again, won't you, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Would you take him at his word again this morning? And so stop trying to find your satisfaction in these other things. When you know that your soul will only find satisfaction in Him, would you come back to Jesus and put your trust back where it belongs? And when I read this passage, what stands out to me the most are those people from Jesus' hometown who have so much trouble accepting Jesus for who He is because it's because they grew up with Him that. Uh, they they find it hard to believe him and what he says to them here in chapter 6 is very similar to how he spoke to the samaritan woman back in chapter 4 but she the stranger and the people in the town that she's from that it's those people often it's those people coming cold who really appreciate what jesus can do for them it's the outsider who's really listening I think I see that pattern continuing. I'm hearing all the time that it's the overseas student from mainland China. It's the people on the steppes of Mongolia, far flung in their rural towns. It's people who've been previously denied any access to the gospel. They are the ones who are so hungry for it. They're the ones coming to find faith in Jesus. Whereas in our own backyard, Sydney folk in the burbs who've grown kind of used to it, who've kind of grown up with a nominal Christianity, they're the ones who are so often taking things for granted and and writing Jesus off. And I don't know who God's called you to minister amongst, but I wonder how we might be able to help people, even if they are Sydney suburbanites. I wonder how we might be able to help people see just how good Jesus is, how satisfying He is. And my prayer, and I hope you'll join me in it, my prayer is that Uh, Next weekend, as a lot of us go off to church camp, we would begin to be a whole lot better equipped to do just that with the help of the input uh, that Belinda will share with us. But for now, would you uh, join me in prayer? Let's pray.